Hi and welcome to Let's Spirit Lead. I'm Cecil Williams and in this interview you'll meet the amazing Sarah Bertrand, an award-winning author of Feminine Wisdom and Magic, who's written together with her husband Asra the incredible books Womb Awakening and The Magdalene Mysteries. Saren has just published her latest book, Spirit Weavers, Wisdom Teachings from the Feminine Path of Magic. In this interview, Saren shares how it's time to weave new stories and birth new realities, and how we have within us the secrets of the lost lineages of feminine wisdom. She also takes us on an incredible journey where you connect with the magic within you. I was really blown away by this journey. So let's head over to this magical interview now, where you meet the incredible Saren Bertrand. Hi Saren, it's amazing to have you here on the podcast. I have been a fan for quite a while and I think what you do is just amazing, it's magical and it's so unique and different. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you Sissy, it's beautiful to be here and I'm glad that we finally connected. Yeah, well, I had your wonderful husband on the podcast and the summit last year. And yeah, he blew my mind away, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and your books, I've read uh, two of your books that you've written with him, and they were incredible. And now you've come out with a new book called Spirit Weavers. And I happen to love Spirit Weavers because, you know, I'm into the Norse Velva path, and we obviously work with the Norns. And I also love Aaron Rod. I love all the Spirit Weavers. So, I was really excited about this book. But before we dive into it, what inspired you to step into this birthing of this book? Well, in a way, it's kind of an interesting story because for those of you who don't know, we, we wrote two books. I wrote two books with my husband, Ashraba Trand, Womb Awakening and Magdalene Mysteries. And I feel like they are, you know, as they say, initiatory books. It's when you open the doors, <laughs> you kind of time travel into a different dimension. It's they are mystery schools in books. And, you know, I know a lot of people actually have a difficulty to read them. You know, even avid readers say that they read a bit and then they have to kind of put it down and integrate. So those first two books were really written in this, this sense of energy of like the overarching, the archetypal, you know, I almost feel like we weren't even in those books. We were just conduits or guides or, you know, soul doulas, uh, midwives for those books. And, um, but during the writing of those books for 10 years, I'm, I'm a writer by profession, you know, I'm a, I've been working as a writer paid by the pen for two decades now. Um, you know, writing is really the love of my life. And writing is how I understand the world, how I work something out. For me, writing is very um, psychic and magical art in of itself. So during the writing of those two books, I have been writing essays, or just that, you know, we're up on our website for a bit, or just scraps of writing that I would write and then put away in a folder. And often it was that writing that was about my personal experience that was kind of part of the weft and the weave of those big 
initiatory books. And in a way, I feel like, you know, if you hold the threads of that big energy and, and, and kind of bring it really down into the personal and uh, the domestic. So after I had my daughter, I was just kind of cruising through all my old writings and, and putting them together. In a, in a book. And I just felt like this needs to be out in the world. I can't just kind of keep this private to myself, almost like as a, a private journal. And in a way, what that mirrored, I feel like the, the portal of that was, um, and I can't remember if I wrote this in the book or I wrote it somewhere else, but it's connected to the Magdalene Mysteries. The Magdalene Mysteries for me is the book that just blew my mind and blew me away. <laughs> and there was a way that when we wrote Magdalene Mysteries, I almost felt like we were just like, you know, innocently, naive, naively, stupidly, <laughs> thought we were just tying up a few loose ends because when we'd researched um, Womb Awakening, there was just like such a lot of material rooted in mystical Christianity and the Gnostic traditions, uh, especially connected with Mary Magdalene. And so again, we had all this kind of shuffled somewhere. So it was the same process, you know, these, this kind of weaving of how every book has been a, a tapestry with threads and they're kind of weaving in and out of each other. So, you know, Magdalene Mysteries came, this book that I thought we were just tying up the loose ends of um, of womb awakening, but for me actually opened a huge doorway, a huge new spirit gate and kind of a new, a new nuance into not just who Mary Magdalene was, but really like the, the essence of that magic that I'm now calling feminine magic, you know, that it felt like in the West, she really presided over especially archetypally or mythically, um, this lineage of feminine magic. And, and so as we were writing the Magdalene Mysteries book, it kind of, it started to move from Palestine into these more, more um, folkloric places and parts of history, let's say. And as that was happening, I was really having, having a, another wave of ancestral awakening. Mm. And so it felt like it felt like whatever that essence of that magic that we feel in Mary Magdalene is saying, don't look to me, look inside yourself and look down to your own lineage and take that thread and then take my thread. And then let's weave it together and we're going to find something extraordinary, you know, like a root system that's going to reveal a great forest of wisdom that we haven't seen. So as that was all happening, researching uh, the Magdalene Mysteries, I had to uh, go back to England in the summer of 2018 because my mom was beginning her death journey. And we arrived and I had terrible jet lag. <laughs> I, I really, I don't fly well. I have a lot of kind of, I can't sleep for days. And we were in this strange little place. We'd got moved from the cottage I'd booked, which was really cozy underneath my tour, which I write about. And um, 
we we got moved to the back of beyond to dark peak and it was like something from Wuthering Heights and we drove up there and you know it was kind of rainy and windy and and just it was everything you would imagine the dark peak to look like and we were in this little cottage and on the first night I couldn't sleep at all and I was in bed at this really old farmhouse and just like the spirit of the land I mean like mantle for me is like because it's ancestral but it's one of the strongest magics I've ever felt but the dark peak the land was throbbing and these words just started to kind of pour through me and in the end I was like I have to have to get up and write this down you know so I I got up and I crept downstairs. I didn't want to wake Azra up. I didn't really have, you know, light and just a little cup of tea. And I started writing. And in the end, I wrote 30,000 words, not that night, but in substance over kind of a few weeks. And the essence of it was, is that the Magdalene Mysteries had started about this kind of abstract, more abstract idea of who really is Mary Magdalene. We've heard all the myths. We've heard all the stories. But is there any truth to it? You know, we were kind of going on a detective journey to find her. And then she kind of put the mirror up to me and said, I want to hear your story. Mm. So it was this amazing moment. But I was trying to tell her story and she was saying, why don't you tell your story? So at that point, I started to weave my personal story into Magdalene Mysteries. And it kind of blew apart our blueprint of the book, of like what we were going to do. We had it really neat. And then we had this like 30,000 words to somehow um, fit in. And, and actually, we cut out about 20,000 of those words. But for me, it was a doorway. As a writer, I felt like it was direction from life to stop writing about other people's stories. Mm. And to start to tell my own story and the mirror for everyone else is that our story is this kind of mythic fairy tale when we hold it in that way that has this wisdom for us. So Spirit Weaver kind of came out of that essence that it was all my, you know, like my notes, my thoughts, my feelings, my journey talking about my ancestral roots, talking about my dad's death. And it was more rooted in my life. You could see me in it. And yeah, and so I just decided that I felt like these more personal stories of feminine magic and spirit weaving, it's like, it's almost like when we've explored all these big mythic stories, we're we're kind of like, okay, now what? Now, like, what do we do with that? How how do we live that? And how do we come back to ourselves? And in the way, not try and mimic mythic stories, but instead uncover our own personal fairy story. So that was very much like a container for Spirit Weaver. Of course, it's like it's writings over the last 10 years. So as my writing is going to unfold, it's going to kind of have more of this. But it's bringing the mythic back into our homes, back into our bodies, back into the way magic is weaving in our everyday lives. And and when I was pregnant, one of the things that I kept sitting with is this knowing that in fairy tales, 
it's all the motifs, almost all completely domestic. They are, um, you know, a fairy tale often starts when a mother dies, so grief and loss, or a child has to grow up, or the family lose their money and are in poverty, or the, you know, the one of the characters in the fairy story is sweeping or stitching or weaving or, or, or is in the garden. I mean, really, when you think of, of fairy tales, they're so rooted in domestic daily life, you know, our, our chores, how we have to have money to live, how we have to take care of our homes and our children. This interface between the village and the forest, the wildness, and, and how how we kind of weave between these two worlds to, to find our place of belonging and our, our place of individuation and marriage. And, and the more I kind of fell into it intuitively, this was uh, very similar to Mary Magdalene. She has this fairy tale quality, whereas every other kind of biblical, spiritual, mythical uh, figure we come across, it's this huge abstract, you know, enlightened and wakened miracles. But whereas with the Marys, whether it's Mother Mary, it's like they've had a baby, they've lost a baby. They come from money, they've given up money, you know. They've been hurt by men. They've loved men. They've known what it is to live in a, a family or an organizational structure. And they've also chosen to leave those structures and go into the wild to discover a more primal Gnostic um, sense of themselves. So I really felt this, this twin weave of Mary Magdalene as an archetype moving from the the temples, as we might say, all being located in the biblical story. And when we start to pull on the threads that we know of her life and locate it in the domestic, then she really turns into this fairy tale character. And I just became fascinated with that and what we could learn from entering the fairy tale dimension of our own experience rather than this kind of huge battle between the sacred and the profane or the sacred and the mundane you know i when we go to church or the temple or our retreat or when we're you know being all spiritual <laughs> that and talking about our ecstatic peak experiences that's one side of us and then we have the the domestic side of us and feminine magic, which, you know, Spirit Weaver is brimming with, is, is full of this magic that is so vast and powerful. The only place you can disguise it is under the, the pot on the stove or in the kettle, <laughs> you know, or underneath the chair that the old lady's knitting on or in the garden by the herbs. It's, it's so powerful. It's been hid in these um, everyday locations. So and in our bodies too. So, so this is the thread that I've, I've become fascinated with and, and obviously ties into my idea of feminine magic that came through in Womb Awakening, that when you start to go into all these, you know, what have been called shamanic traditions, feminine traditions, earth-based traditions, it's always connected to 
the mysteries of the body, the mysteries of nature, the mysteries of our lives. It's not about the abstract light that's purified. It's about the bitter wisdom (laughs) that we embody through experience and how we manage to navigate. It's like a fairy tale. We go into the forest as the fool in the tarot deck. And maybe we're carrying grief or loss. It's a new beginning and, you know, we're we're in transition. And then all this, you know, storyline happens and it's how do we learn the lessons and keep our heart open and Mm. our feet on the ground, but also our eyes open to the magic. And to me, that is the, the great journey of life. Beautiful. But I think it's also so beautiful with what you're sharing is that because your previous two books, I mean, there's a lot of research that's mm. gone into these books. And they are amazing also from that perspective. I actually really, really love that. And they go into these deep mysteries. But it's like you were then researching and going deeper and de- deeper into her energy. And then she brings you into how to be that magic in your own life rather than worshipping something out there, searching for it out there. And I do feel that is the the magic and the power of of the feminine, to bring it straight into our own bodies, our own experience, our own journey. It's like any time you do a shamanic journey, you're stepping into a fairy story, because that's how the archetypal landscape reveals itself to you and you recognize I'm in a fairy story in my life. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's that, that is just so beautiful because obviously she's been vilified <laughs> by, by patriarchy. Mm. And as many of the very powerful goddesses were like in the Norse tradition, I always mention this, but I Norse uh, goddess here was, deeply vilified and became the ruler of hell and she's you know she's a beautiful goddess of actually rebirth and healing her name means to heal to make whole in swedish i mean it's just crazy when you see what they what they've done sorry i was gonna say it reminds me of when i was pregnant i started 10 books i mean hopefully all merge but one is about all these women and goddesses having this amazing party in hell that you're invited to (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like where all the fun and magic is happening. Exactly, exactly. And that it's it's good. You know, it's life. It's the yeah. expansion of life that yeah. I feel that they represent. So I think it's beautiful that she took you onto this mm. path to discover it, to recognize your own your own life story. How are you weaving that rather than chasing hers? Yeah, exactly. And like you say, for me, it's a balance. I really believe in root systems and root structures and and really the entirety of, of, you know, what I do and what I talk about is coming down into this root world, Mm -hmm. Um, not to separate from the world of flowers and light, but actually because that's how you grow into the world of flowers and light is, is by having this root structure. So For me, research is really important because research gives you that root and that Mm. structure and that knowledge. And then the the kind of magical flowers can grow out of it. And I love that you just said that. (laughs) I love that you said that because 
You see, then you allow the research to take you into that those root structures. So you then start to be nourished by it. And then you grow from that rather than either bypassing that work <laughs> that is required, mm-hmm. the dedication and the commitment of going down. Because I think sometimes people just want to have a quick fix rather than yeah. doing actually that deeper journey. But also not to just keep it at that abstract level, but instead you're actually journeying deeper into it. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And of course, the difference, you know, feminine magic is you must know the difference between embodiment and archetype. And I, I feel like so often people don't know that. And so, so constantly, every time we have a mythic figure, we make it into an archetype because that's how we understand the world. That's a, a natural function of our pattern recognition. So with Mary Magdalene, oh, she's a priestess. She's a sex priestess. She's a, you know, she's the apostle, you know, all whatever your version of the archetype is. And then we try and embody the archetype, but we're, we're never meant to embody archetypes. They're, they're not meant to act in that way. They're meant to be like placemats on a story so we can recognize things. And then embodiment is more complex, more flexible, more nuanced, because we know in our own lives, it's like, you know, if through your whole 24 day, you've moved through many archetypes, <laughs> you know, you might be cleaning up after your kids in the morning, you know, doing your work in the afternoon, you know, being a sex priestess <laughs> with your partner at night. It's like, you know, archetypes. Are, are not meant to be embodied because we are complex, nuanced, flexible, fluid beings. And, and I feel like that's what feminine magic is moving us towards, to not thinking these abstract certainties or um, characters, which are, it's not even to not thinking them. It's like, it's, it, we have them. It's like, it's important. It's like you draw a painting of sunflowers and that's beautiful. That helps you encapsulate the energy of sunflowers, but you never mistake it for sunflowers, you know, the real thing, which is much more complex and nuanced and rooted in the soil and absorbing rain and light and, you know, moving through darkness and moonlight and seeing dawns and growing and flowering and dying. It it can't just be captured in that one picture as as an essence of it. So yeah, and I feel like that's really the secret of feminine magic in our lives is that it's this interface of paradox. It's like when we say feminine magic and it's very simple and domestic, it's the sense that, you know, you open your, the pot lid and you look into the abyss. It's how like you stick the lid down. It's like, did I just see the void in there? And these portals are located in very familiar places. And again, this is true of all fairy tales, you know, that the portal is always located in your own life, in your own, you know, home or your own, you know, your own domain. And so, so there's that complexity there, but I feel like it's a, it's a guarded magic. It's like some people might just open the lid and see the tea and some people might open the pot lid and see the universe. And that's the difference of initiated feminine magic it's it's very distilled and very um it looks simple on the surface but when you go down into it 
you enter this kind of very magical realm. Yeah, absolutely. So for those who may not be accustomed to the word, how would you describe a spirit weaver? Okay, so the actual original title of the book that I gave it was Story Weavers and Spirit Keepers. But that was that's too long for the cover of a book. So it kind of got distilled to its essence of uh, spirit weavers. And, and so I feel like that essence of, of keeping something, of tending to something and telling stories also lives within that. But for me, spirit weaver just means spirit is the, you know, the animated love and life force that inhabits everything. And weaving is the sense that. There's so many threads, It how that life force, how that magic express, expresses is infinite in all these threads. And rather than having all these kind of disparate, isolated threads, we start to pull them together and weave a pattern that creates magic and beauty and relationship. And it actually conveys information. And so when we look at any of the ancestral or feminine arts, this is what we see, you know, this great emphasis on, on weaving and patterns and, and bringing things together. And really it's this, and it's an amazing feminine art, of course, of, of making something from what looks like nothing, you know. So you take some wool off a sheep and it's like, doesn't look like much, right? But then once you, you know, dye it and spin it and weave it, and you, then you can create something incredibly beautiful and useful. And, and so it really is also a, um, it's a transformational gateway. And again, I think it's, it's very embodied. You know, I was thinking this morning about something that I had forgotten, which was when I was first pregnant this was before we knew I you know technically knew I was pregnant but I knew I was pregnant and I was in bed at night and it was the middle of the night and I was woken up by this feeling in my womb like a um, a very small light or flame it was very like um like light but fire and light it's hard to explain not quite light and not like not quite fire quite delicate you know we imagine fire as like this really strong fiery energy it was like soft fire soft fire and light and it was in my womb and I could feel it like my womb was carrying this soft light and then it just kind of surged upwards almost like it it just opened up and it surged up to my heart and it was like a thread of light firelight and it was trying to catch in my heart and and then it caught hold and then when that that firelight from my womb caught hold in my heart it started to do this infinity loop of wow. like fire and light between my heart and womb and that was the moment when I knew it that not only was I pregnant, but the baby was going to stay because I'd had experiences with not being able to hold a pregnancy before. And, and then I just lay there in the night just with this yeah. incredible, I mean, it makes me want to cry to remember it because it's, and that's, I think the point of spirit weaving or feminine magic is, 
it's real, it's in our bodies. And I just lay there with this feeling of this, this light doing this circuit, this infinity loop between my womb and heart and this deep knowing that I was pregnant and, and And that you were going to keep it. And that was going to keep anchoring herself. It was anchoring. (laughs) And and it was almost like, it's so funny. It was like, you know, maybe that firelight is the soul or the spirit of the baby, but it was like, she was throwing a thread up to catch on my heart if that makes sense and it was like caught and then she was like yes I've done it and and then and then the weave started and um and it was that feeling that yes our womb um kind of holds the light and holds the baby but it's our heart that carries it and keeps it and that when they're in union, it's this, it's this incredible, um, yeah, like creation of love. And, you know, the womb is like, I will make this and I will hold it. And the, and the heart is like, and I will keep it and carry it. And they're, they're, they're speaking together. And so for me, that was this embodied experience of, you know, what we'd always been sharing about the heart-womb connection, again, that we can understand archetypally. But when you feel it in your body, and, and that makes sense. It's like mm. we, we, care, we all know that whoever we've loved, yes, if we have a child, we carry them in the womb, but we also carry them in our heart equally. Mm. It's a co-creation. And, and, and so, you know, from that, we understand that was a very visceral experience of this, um, you know, very deep longing of mine. But everything we create should should come from that place. Yeah, uh, we create it, but we we keep it in our heart too. We're we're nurturing it with our heart as much as we are with our life force. Yeah, I was just thinking that because so many of us have tried to create and manifest from our heads bypassing the womb but also bypassing the heart (laughs) and it's like it's this is the magic and then it's like the third eye can just observe like you observed it but they knew what they were doing how extraordinary i know also you mentioned that because my mom passed away in 2018 too and it's such a such a I really did feel that grief was a midwife into mm. an expansion of consciousness for me and for her. But it's like she gave birth to me as she was dying into mm. a new expansion and I could help her as she was passing. It's, it's incredible when you see how it works, how it, it's so beautifully weaved together. Yeah. But also how you felt that there was a connection between your mom and your daughter. So do you mind sharing that? It's yeah, you know, and it was actually a whole journey because my dad died first really unexpectedly in 2013. And, you know, how the fairy tale weaves its, its tail. He showed his first symptoms the first moment he met Azra. Wow. <laughs> so it was joke about that with Azra, you know. And it's um, like but, he was waiting for him before exactly, he could pass. Right in the book, it was literally. Oh my we, god! We went for a meal, and we all, you know, we just got on so well. And then my dad kind of fell ill at the meal, and and then he got, you know, sick after we got married. But in 2012, I really thought he would recover. He's so strong. 
but he ended up dying in 2013 and it, it just really ambushed me it took mm. me by surprise you know and and that first death is when like your family your old life is just torn apart you know and I feel like because of that I'd already been so deeply in this grief or death portal and it was my dad's death that you know, maybe about three years after he died, when I had this huge communion with the ancestors at Mamtor, which is where, you know, his ancestry is from. So I was already in this, like you say, this kind of deep metaphysical grief. And as I write about grief, grief is, is not something you get over. It's not like a virus that you get over, or an illness that you get over. Grief becomes part of you actually it becomes a dimension of you and it becomes this very rich wise deep compassionate dimension that you hold and embody and as we know grief is love but grief is another version of love so the more you expand to hold that grief the more love you're holding and recognition of this incredible experience of love we're all having together that doesn't seem like it on the surface a lot. So that kind of scenario kind of prepared me for when my mom died, because I I had already been going through this big grief journey and with her too. So yeah, it really does feel like, um, you know, I feel like she she birthed me and then I birthed her back into, I midwifed her back into the womb of earth. And, you know, a few, and again, all this stuff for me, and, and you, you'll know this too, when someone dies, it's like, there's a part of you that's receiving so much psychic information yeah. that it actually takes quite a few years to land it. The same mm-hmm. happened with my dad. So for me, I felt like I I received so much psychic information from the second wave of ancestors that came up at that point. I, I'm still really trying to land it. But, you know, the, the number one thing that came through was legacy, the importance of legacy. And the way that in the modern world, because obviously we're so focused on what's broken and what's not working and we're all going to therapy (laughs) or or doing some kind of shadow work and realizing, you know, all the ways our parents or our cultures or our communities failed us. And it felt like what we are forgetting to do is remember legacy and be understanding what we need to preserve and pass on and so in transformation there's a lot of this energy let's burn it all you know when you clear something out you get this new beginning and for me as my mom was dying and when I was with her in that that month that she was dying it and we were going to all these sacred sites we'd go to kind of a site in the morning and then to the hospital in the afternoon it's just this immense legacy. And it was like the ancestors were, were like, you kind of know what's broken. You don't need to nose in it anymore. But let's remember the legacies that we want to pass forward and remember them and cherish them and honor and preserve them. And I think that we're kind of one of the first generations that's had no sense of honor or respect mm. in, or legacy. Yeah. And I think it really shows. And, you know, the other big thing that I felt like 
my mom's death really taught me is that and I sometimes think with the world you know like we're saving the world but I think well maybe we're just midwifing the death of the world and and what I know from my mom is that like how important a good death is (laughs) it's like you know when someone's dying like your mom's dying you're not like well she's dying I'm not going to make sure to feed her or I don't care if she's comfortable let it just burn down she's going that's not how you're 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 relating like let's tend to this let's make this the most sacred full of love and truth and holding and let's make this a portal so so yeah so there was just so much that came through and then my mom died and then a year later to the day (laughs) my daughter was born and I had a you know a very uh strange birth that I haven't really spoken about yet but all I will say is that it was um I was in ecstasy and grief simultaneously, and I experienced a bilocation where I was at my mom's deathbed, holding her hand and singing to her with the full moon, and simultaneously in the room as my daughter was coming into the world and wow. rejoicing and celebrating, and and really again not in an abstract theoretical way, but in a embodied like. <laughs> rock your world like dissect you and put you take you into a million pieces and put you back together into a new shape-shifted being that these portals are are joined and and they have they have this symmetry Mm. that the reverence that we bring something into the world has to be matched by the reverence that we let something leave this world and I think that's not just a human or a you know physical death I think that when we let go of anything in our lives it's a very sacred experience that's that's full of reverence and completion and magic and it's actually connected to what's going to birth next so the more reverence and magic and kind of embodied awareness or just openness to the the communication and the the um I don't know what the word for it's just it's like to just be in the experience fully yeah. open, the more that what's going to come next is going to be full of that too and so often we I think in the the modern world we were just taught to discard things throw things away not honor things see the worst in things rather than creating this deep reverence and spirit of soul doership even for things that weren't perfect you know because my my mom wasn't perfect (laughs) you know I was like for most people we had a very complex uh relationship and you know I talk about that in the spirit weavers book that to me that's what grief is grief is this like vast love that can hold the complexity of the person who loved you and hurt you and of the person that you have loved down to every last bone and also been so furious at at times. Mm. It's like grief is just like, it just holds it all. It is like a big alchemical chamber and, and, and when it's all distilled, it's like, yeah, it feels again 
I think like when someone dies, you you carry them in your heart. Yeah. And you want to carry them in your heart. It's like there are parts that you need to let go of and release patterns. But I feel it's very important that whatever that distillation of grief is, that beautiful essence you, you carry in your heart. Yeah, absolutely. The image I get when you're speaking is also, because my experience after my mom died was that I had to really, really journey into my roots. Mm. and really connect with all that ancestral knowledge and wisdom and magic that was there. But there was also layers of wounding and poison and all that that was also there that I had to I had to process it all in order to also receive that yeah. deeper wisdom and magic that was also there. That was That was my experience with it. But when you were speaking now, it's like the difference between just doing it from our heads <laughs> where yeah. it's just there on the superficial level to actually being able to hold it and go really deep so that you can connect with mm. all that what you say is legacy I would call it medicine I would, I would mm. call it like that ancestral deep wisdom yeah. that we hold in our bones, in our bodies that we have disconnected from when we're just living from our heads and also that we suppress and kind of yeah. try to hide for so yeah. long. And it feels like she's awakening <laughs> so fully in so many of us. And it has to be from our roots. We can't do it from our heads. So how beautiful that we have these portals that yeah. force us to go deep like the portal of someone dying or someone being born. I think it's amazing that you could hold the two portals simultaneously within your being. You were really being like the Norse goddess Hel, who is that <laughs> portal of light and death and darkness, life yeah. and death. And it's because you were holding both. You were that, that yeah. portal in that moment, weren't you? Yeah. And, you know, and, and what I love about, you know, feminine magic, you know, one of the things I would say, like you say, is for, for many of us, you know, when we grew up in the world, we were just located in the thinking mind, this this just very um, artificial realm, really. And then one of the journeys of embodiment is to come down into the body, to come down into like, you know, our, our being. And I think the, the, the heart of feminine magic is when the body becomes a doorway to a dimension that's not outside the body, it's inside the body. Mm. So fairyland is inside the body. It's like the body is other world. The body is the dimension. But what happens is it's, it's not like, it's not familiar to us and it holds a lot more information than we yeah. can hold. And that's why often the body and this dimension of magic in the body externalizes things as like synchronicity or, you know, because that's a way we can connect with it. And, you know, I remember that after my mom had died um, one night with Ajah, we drove to her childhood home, which is in Loxley, which is where Robin Hood was, was born. And, but anyway, so we drove to her childhood home and where I had visited with my grandmother who died when I was eight and had been a very strong and present person in my life. And 
with my mom, we used to drive and sit outside this house that she grew up in because my mom was very like working things out and wanting to connect with it. And every time we ever drove by with my mom and, and sat outside this house, they must have thought we were stalkers. But um, it was this like small, very small, humble house. Uh, you could never see in. It was like there, I don't know if there were just big curtains over the window or whatever. It just felt like this slightly blank, like impenetrable fortress and slightly haunted inside. It was like there was this big wall between us and the memories it held inside of my mom's childhood and my memories of, of being there as a child. So after she died, I said to Asha, can we drive there, you know, one last time and just sit outside? And we sat outside and it was dark and we switched the car engine off. And it was this kind of very just like dark, thick, magical night. But the curtains were open. I've never known that before. And the lights were on and there were a family. And there was a woman holding a baby in the window and rocking a baby in the window. Yeah. And oh, it, you know, it gives me goosebumps now. And, and in that moment, again, these synchronicities, I knew this was a message from the ancestors yeah. that Orphea, our, our daughter, she was coming through and that somehow my mom's death had facilitated a portal opening for, for Orphea to arrive. And, And so the more we go into this magical dimension that lives inside the body and inside Earth, you know, which we now call it the biomantic realm, which is bio, obviously, is life, and mantic means divinity. Yeah, the more the body, this body dimension kind of co-ops all of your life to send you uh, messages of magic. and Absolutely. And the more you can hold that magic and make peace with how different it is to the world you're living in with your thinking mind. And again, to me, that's part of spirit weaving. You know, when we first enter not just our body, but we go through the doorway into the dimension, it's, it can be like Alice in Wonderland. It can be confronting, just frightening, just like, you know, you're shaking and you can't hold it for a long time. You kind of have to come back. But the more you can hold it and and learn from it and meet all the beings in there and make friends and learn, but weave it with the thinking mind that has to operate in the world that we live in right now. Yeah, I just feel like the two worlds start to commune and there's this merging across the membrane and, and these divisions start to just dissolve and, and everything becomes magical. Yeah. And I do feel also it is part of the medicine that perhaps we're meant to bring through in order yeah. to weave something of that deeper wisdom, that deeper knowing, that deep connection with nature and with all of life around us into this world so that we can move through this rebirth that yeah. we are in. Because we're in a death, as you say, and but it's also a portal of rebirth if we if we choose to. Yeah. And you know what I feel like one of the the things I've learned, you know, what have I learned on this journey? I would say the number one thing I've learned is that the journey is time coded, like any fairy tale. 
And one of the things is that we expect that it's all kind of going to happen at once or in a very neat sequence. And it doesn't work like that. It's like really deep wisdom takes a long time to your Michael gestate or brew or for the Mm. recipe to be in place. And, you know, so like I've said, it's like this, just all this experience and gnosis that came through when my mom was dying it's like I still can't write about it now I still haven't even written about my birth because it's my birth my you know birthing my daughter because it's it's not it's still kind of in the cauldron yeah. and you know we live in a world that encourages us to just make everything into neat headlines and I and- love that you're saying this because this is something that I see I've actually been telling my my students off a little bit for this because what I see that a lot of us do a lot of people do is that they start on this amazing path and then they journey in and they have all these amazing experiences but instead of allowing it to simmer for long enough in the cauldron they bring it up to the mind in order to bring it out there to make something of it, you know, yeah. to yeah. make it into their business or to, would, yeah. and I see them then share it way too soon. And it's like, no, let it, let it stay in the cauldron. And then, you know, I can see that they try and then they, they might then let it stay for a few weeks. And I go, no, sometimes it needs to stay for years. And exactly. it won't be up to you when it's done. It will show you the impulse when it's meant to be born through you. Yeah. And it's that, it's that head. If we've been so in our heads, the head wants to go in there and kind of hijack the cauldron and like, oh, I can see some gold in there. Let's bring it up and put it out yeah, there yeah. so I can make something of that. You know? yeah, yeah. And it's crazy. <laughs> that's because then you obviously that's not the feminine magic. But I do feel that if you start to do that, because my experience has been like with like what you've shared now with yours is some things are cooking for a long, 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 like long time. Usually, oh, yeah. like <laughs> long time. At least three years. And I trust. And I trust it now. But you know, what do you feel will happen if the mind goes in there and interferes? Because that's what the masculine or patriarch has done with the feminine magic for so long. They just want to rub it. Just look at any of the Norse stories. The Norse stories, does God always want to go in there and steal oh, from yeah. the goddess her mean and her wisdom? <laughs> I always like... want to put their hands in the sweet shop, don't exactly. they? Exactly. <laughs> and th- this is the sweet shop, isn't it? It's like, so what would your advice be here to well, I, I, all I would... of them that are waking up to this so that they keep it sacred? You know what I feel, and I've pondered on this, and I, I feel like, Actually, one thing I know is that magic can't be stolen or touched because all the fairy tales tell us as soon as the the kind of hand with like not the right intention or depth it touches it, it closes, it goes. Yeah. So it's one thing I know is real magic can never be stolen. And so I think there's the difference between magic and entertainment, right? And there is a place. You're so them. good. This is good. <laughs> that is- also, as humans, we need theater. We need entertainment. We need, I call, I'm calling it spiritual gossip. And so one of the ways I've seen it is that, you know, and, and often with younger people or people, you know, not as far on the journey, they, they dip into this world and then what they bring up is entertainment and theater. 
And that has its place, you know, because for some people, they're not ready to touch the magic. The magic will blow them up. <laughs> but they're kind of like, so I almost think it's like, you know, roll up, roll up. <laughs> they'll take their seat for the movie and they'll get what they need. And so there's this difference between entertainment and magic. And, and, and so it's important to know that. And I think we know intuitively in our bones when we're talking to an entertainer in a circus or a fair or when we're talking to a magician. Yeah. And, and everyone knows that and everyone feels it. So my feeling on all this is everything is, um, everything has its place as long as we just know what we're doing, that we know if we're being the entertainer. And I suppose more aptly, we know if what we're engaging with is full of magic or is just an image of entertainment, you know, something quickly curated for our, you know. It's empty. Yeah, it feels empty. And it's like any theatre show or it's like the difference between a, a theatrical magical show and what we're talking about deep ancestral magic. It's, um, you know, entertainment, it's ephemeral. It's like an image. And I, I think actually it serves its purpose and its place, but then it just dissolves into thin air. Yeah. And really all that is doing is calling you on a journey to inhabit that magic. So I, I feel like our, our entertainers and our, festival folk uh you know who are always jackdawing ideas <laughs> and I think that's everyone who's listening who, who kind of is in this this journey knows that when you're kind of stewing on something for years and then the entertainers just kind of whip it out in a moment it can feel like oh oh no and in a way I feel like that's the journey of magic it's like let the entertainers play with the ideas let the entertainers thrill the world you know and you've got to go through this deep journey that strips down all your identity to prove if you're true enough and um, wise enough to carry that story or that legacy as I call it that then can have an impact that travels across time and and stays and actually has this truly transformational rather than entertaining quality. And again, what I've come to learn is there's a place for both because deep magic is not for beginners or for everyone. And they do need it presented with pretty pictures and foxy headlines at first. And as but, you say, if you if you reach it too soon, it will just disappear anyway. So the magic will always be protected. What I see, certainly, you know, when I see my students, for example, because they do, they do have a commitment to be on this path. Yeah. But it's like I can see their mind. It's a fear mm-hmm. of going in. It's a fear of going deeper and going deeper and going deeper. And it's like their mind then kicks in into a little bit of a survival mode of, you know. It's like that distraction <laughs> of, yeah. from the actual path. And then they go into overdoing things, for example. And, mm-hmm. and it, is, it is, as you say, it's, you have to be initiated into showing up. Now I'm still going to journey in. I'm going to journey in. I'm going to stay in this. I'm going to let it take the time it takes without it leading to anything. 
because that's and another I, thing you just uh, yeah you just you just knew yeah. you you meant to <laughs> yeah yeah you know one of I, I feel it's like of course you know what you're talking about now is rather than the casual observer who is like oh, I might go to that theater show that sounds like an interest you're talking about magical apprentices now who yeah. have committed to they've they've made that commitment to to journey and I and I feel that at that stage and we've all done it is that what you do is you only you cheat yourself out of your own magic yeah. <laughs> by going too fast because one of the one of the you know and again this is spirit weaving and some of the other metaphors I use it's like patchwork quilts or tapestries is like you kind of come on one little piece of the pattern. You're like, oh my God, this is amazing. I've got to share. And you, it's like, no, calm down. <laughs> That's just one piece. Exactly. And if, if you bring that piece up, then it's like you're basically the fool who doesn't have a blanket but has a patchwork piece. Whereas if you kind of can sit with it more, all these different pieces come through and then you thread and weave them yes. together. You're so good. <laughs> this is and it, it's a perfect metaphor. Yeah. And, and, and a new pattern comes in. One of the things I've kind of discovered is that there is a, almost a grief in that because when that first piece came through that you're so like, oh, wow, you have a more like mellow, mature relationship to it now because now you've seen it pieced together with a big picture, a big vision you don't have that like energized fool's energy you know of like look at this one piece I've brought up you're like okay now I see it all and yeah and I think that's part of the journey and and then I think the amazing part of the journey is that and then it can happen the other way right so and then everyone listening will know the other way too and the other way is when you've been stewing on it for so long and you're quite happy and then life just suddenly says go green lights and you're like what now I think I need to stew on it a bit more it's not quite right yeah oh yeah so I, again I love this about the magical arts you're always kept on your toes because when you want to kind of make it into this thing it's going no 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 and then when you're like oh I just really want to kind of hide in my little cave and and brood on this for and and then it's like oh go 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 and and it's these like energy shifts that we have to become adept at and of course this is the metaphor of birth I mean it's like the baby is in this dark, wet, magical other world. And for all this time, which to the baby must feel like aeons, you know, we know that when people, you know, have spoken in magical experience of how it feels to be inside the womb, it's not nine months, <laughs> it's like nine infinities, you know. And then suddenly out of nowhere, all this, you know, energy is like, move through the canal move through the canal move to the light and it's not it could be ecstatic but it's like a a shock it's a it's a gear change and so I think on the path of magic we're always tuning into that gear change and that's why I think we also look at the moon as one of our major teachers because she he models this so well this like she's full she's bright and then suddenly she's waning and she's dark and she's got her veil on and 
just as she's in the darkness of her veil, she kind of peeks out again, a new moon. And, and so we're learning to be paradoxical and cyclical. And basically, I was just think of it like traffic lights to read the lights. Are they saying red? Are they saying amber? Or is it green? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. I love that. Wow. Amazing. Would you like to either maybe take us on a little journey or something like that? So this can experience this. Okay, so I'm going to take us on a little journey together. And of course, we'll start with once upon a time. And, And just close your eyes and take your awareness into your body. And feel the web of time, once upon a time inside the web of time. Feel where you are located in time. And then one of the threads of time starts to illuminate and light up and vibrate and call you. And slowly, slowly, like a tightrope walker, you start to walk across this thread of time, balancing perfectly, seeing the glittering darkness beneath you, held by this thread on the glittering web of time. And you start to walk towards another node in time. And when you arrive there, Just feel what's under your feet and look down and see what shoes you've got on or if you have any shoes on. Just locate yourself. What can you hear? What can you see? What can you sense? What can you feel? What's underneath you? What's above you? What's in front of you? What's behind you? What's to the left of you? What's to the right of you? So you're located in this new node of time. When you start to turn to the right-hand side, you see a big forest. Just feel the energy in the forest. And there's a lodge just at the edge of the forest. And there's smoke coming out of the chimney. And you walk across the grass or whatever environment you're in in this node of time. You walk up the stairs of this creaking wooden lodge just on the edge of the forest. And you open the door. And inside, you see a beautiful little cottage with a pot boiling on the stove. It's been waiting for you. So you go to the stove, you lift the lid of the stove, and you look inside the boiling, boiling water, and you see a glimpse of your future and a future path that's calling to you. Might be a person, it might be a feeling, it might be an idea, might be a change in your profession, 
might be a birth, might be a transformation. The pot starts to broil and the water starts to swirl in a spiral, swirling and swirling and swirling. You allow yourself to open to the vision. And when you're ready, you put the lid back on the pot and it stops boiling and just simmers down very gentle. And you pour yourself a cup of tea with it. You sit down on a nice comfy wooden chair, very relaxed. Out of one window, you can see the sunshine, and the flowers and the fields, the meadows. And out of the other window, you see the dark leaves of the forest and the dark shadows of the magical path. And slowly you just drink your tea, absorbing your vision, letting it live inside your body and gestate and brew inside you, time-coded. And when you're ready, you leave a little thank you note on the table and maybe a little gift. You'll see what the gift is. You leave a little gift and you walk out, close the lodge door. It's the lodge that stands between the everyday world and the magical world. You look back down at your feet and you see that thread of time lighting up and vibrating and slowly, carefully, Carrying this new vision brewing inside you, you walk across this thread of time over the abyss, over the glittering abyss, and you feel one foot tap, tap, tap safely back on your current node of time. Put both feet safely on your current node of time knowing that this new magical vision is brewing inside of you. And you just take three deep breaths. And then just open your eyes and come back into this current place in time, knowing that you're now brewing this new magic and this new vision inside of you that's time-coded and will emerge in your life at just the right time, probably when you least expect it. Wow, I'm still processing. (laughs) I was was beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I'm actually really processing. Um, Wow, magical. Absolutely magical. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Thank and my mum came through actually on this one. That's why I'm still processing. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Mm. Wow. What a gift to bring all this through now. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Just feels again, it's time coded. And this is the time for feminine magic. She's returning, you know, she's returned. 
and she's paradoxical and she's not puritanical and she knows how to throw a good party and how to grieve and how to uh, create life and how to birth. She's She has all these keys within her magic. Thank you. Amazing. Is there anything else you want to share? Let me just tune in. Well, thank you everyone for listening and going on this journey together. It just feels like we've been on quite a journey together, I must say. So just honoring that and um, yeah, thanking everyone who's, who's participating. It feels like we're in a web together right now, weaving magic. Um, my book, Spirit Weaver, is, is, is there for the taking if you feel called to explore it. I am starting a new writerly uh, pursuit on Substack called The Enchantress of Elmet. <laughs> and there's a story behind that that, you know, if you sign up to my newsletter at my website at serenbertrand.com, I will be sharing more about that. So, yeah, that's that's the reality of magic. It's always weaving. It always has us in its web. <laughs> Your newsletters are amazing. Yeah, your yeah. writing and Astra's writing—they really are magical. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We did a lot of brewing. Yeah. <laughs> we did a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. You can feel that when we then mm-hmm. receive it, because yeah. it's really filled with that depth. Definitely mm-hmm. has not been just going down and then taking it out there. It's been brewing for a long time. It's yeah. been brewing for a long time, and. And that's why I always say I also have a lot of gratitude for all the amazing entertainers who help share some of our work too and and kind of really bring it out to people who might get melted if they were too close to the stove. Yeah, exactly. But at least they get a little bit of a whiff of it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Awaken something and then eventually they'll move closer and closer. Exactly. It will speak, it will find the people it's meant to find, I think. Yeah. It's been amazing, Sarah. It really has. Thank you. Thank you. It's been incredible to connect with you today. Thank you so much for holding such a beautiful space. Sissy, I can really feel you've been weaving your magic here too. Well, it's a it's a beautiful cauldron to step into when <laughs> I'm weaving here with you. That's for sure. You bring a very, very powerful brew into the cauldron. So I'm just sitting here for the ride. It's been amazing. <laughs> you think you're drinking just an ordinary cup of tea? <laughs> no, no, that was not an ordinary cup of tea. <laughs> for sure. For sure, that was incredible. It was incredible. I'm I'm still in it actually, but yeah, amazing. Thank you for everything that you do and sharing and weaving. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Sissy. For more information about Saren and her work, visit sarenbertrand.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye.